Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or whenever you listen to this podcast. I'm Nikki McCaig, and you are listening to The Lonely Freelancer. In this week's episode of The Lonely Freelancer, I am joined by a very special guest by the name of Albert Aziz Clausen, and we'll be discussing his work at Underpinned, a company he's created to help freelancers gain the support they need at the very start of their journey, as well as other issues surrounding the freelance industry and the gig economy. Enjoy! Hi everybody, welcome to The Lonely Freelancer. I am talking to Albert today and if you don't mind, tell us a bit about your current role and your business. Hey, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, so I am Albert. I am the CEO of Underpinned. I'm also co-founder of Underpinned. I um, I have like a weird and wonderful background that got me into running Underpinned, but I was a freelancer for a long time. I was a business strategy consultant. I'd founded a few businesses and a charity Worked in various different sectors, doing various different things. Um, after being a ballet, like growing up as a ballet dancer and being embroiled in the creative world, I had this kind of weird winding path um, that led me to Underpin. But the, the, the kind of basis of what Underpin is, it's a platform that helps people build successful freelance businesses. It was founded on this idea that um, when I was trying to build a freelance business, I had no idea what I was doing. And then I ended up running a media and arts company that helped young and emerging artists build successful businesses out of what they were doing. And there was just this common theme of all these people with amazing skills and crafts, professions, or however they described it, uh, but really no idea of how to build a business successfully. And it wasn't anything to do with a lack of um, kind of ability. It was just totally that no one had ever left education or employment knowing what to do. And I ran a survey on this recently on my LinkedIn with a few hundred responses. Zero percent of people said they were fully prepared for freelancing when they left education or employment. And that was crazy to me. So the whole purpose of Underpin was to say, what can we do? How can we build a, a scalable framework that anyone from any industry uh, can come in and build a successful freelance business? And that's kind of what we're doing. So we use education, community and technology to, to do that. That's awesome. That, that sounds like something that when I was starting as a freelancer would have been the most useful thing I ever could have had. <laughs> because when you start out, you've sort of you've got all these lovely big dreams of what you're going to be like. And it's going to be working in coffee shops and it's going to be sitting around, you know, at home when everyone else goes on the morning commute. And you're thinking this is great. And then you kind of get to the nitty gritty of like, oh, I have to pay taxes and I've got to get invoices and find clients. And it's, it's chaotic. So I think yeah. that, that is a really good idea. Yeah, thank you. I think that like that that sentiment of there are all of these things I've never thought about. <laughs> like when you start freelancing, your, your plan is, hey, I'm a really good graphic designer. So I'm going to go and make a career of this, building my freelance business. And then you start doing it, you're like, well, I have no idea about all of these things that I have to do around graphic design in order to build something successful. And that's the kind of crux one of it. It's like, that's why we work with people from so many different industries. It's that. How do you build a business shell around your craft from taxes to finding clients to portfolio development, et cetera? I know. And I think that um, this is like a bit off topic, but do you think the pandemic has made a lot of people go into freelancing now that they've had this time away from the office? Yeah. So we, we've um, been obviously watching these trends and doing lots of research and surveys and stuff. And it's crazy. Like the, the increase in freelancing is massive. But the really interesting thing is you know, in, in 2008 with the financial crash there was a massive increase of freelancing but it was almost solely forced into freelancing people who had lost work basically started to freelance and it's not been the same at all with the pandemic the pandemic obviously a lot of people have lost their jobs and it has been very difficult economically for a huge number of people but the biggest driving factor that we've seen is people working in flexible formats for the first time that they weren't used to do it 
And it's meant so many people have picked up hobbies with their spare time. So many people have had a, an exciting impetus to start doing freelancing. And more people have started freelancing in the last year than in the previous 10 years combined. But the other thing that's really cool, um, which I think is what's particularly interesting is, in 2008, the big problem was loads of people started to freelance, but businesses weren't necessarily hiring more people. Yeah. Whereas in the last year, during the height of the pandemic, there was a 40% increase in job listings for freelancers. In other words, there was 40% more work for freelancers at a time when there was the least work for anybody in the economy as a whole. So there was this massive increase from businesses as well who wanted to work with freelancers, which is driven by a number of things, but the most interesting of which is most companies didn't feel comfortable using technology-first communication formats. The idea of sitting in a room with someone was incredibly important, and that just disappeared over a six-month period. So now companies for the first time are going, well, it's more efficient to work with freelancers. They're more specialized. I already remotely work with my whole team anyway, so I feel comfortable working with people in this format. Why on earth am I not doing it? And so it's led to a massive increase on both sides of the table, which makes it a lot easier for freelancers if they want to go into it to know there's actually more work as well. That's so, I, I literally never knew that there's like a 40% increase. I knew that it had definitely gone up because of the pandemic, because obviously people are, like you said, they've got these hobbies and they're thinking I could monetize this, you know, I might be on furlough, you know, or I've lost my job completely. I've got this opportunity now. And I think freelancing is one of those things that everyone sort of says, I'll do it one day. Like that's the end goal. I'll work at this company for so long and then I'll do freelancing. And so I think the pandemic gave people that opportunity to go, well, why not now? You know, I've got time. I've got this energy. I'm at home. Everyone else is at home. Yeah. I think you also raised a good point about businesses did have that kind of reluctance to hire freelancers. For sure. And yeah, I do. And I sort of, I get that from a business perspective, but as a freelancer, that can be so frustrating to hear. Yeah. I, I, I talk about this um, trend quite a lot. So one of the things, so I noticed this happening starting to happen around 10 years ago but really in the last five it became a really big thing and i call it like the agency trend yeah. which is that when you hire creative agencies or branding agencies or marketing agencies or product agencies or whatever, they, whatever the sector they're in but like agency model um, businesses you don't hire their junior staff and you don't hire their middleweight staff you hire the four people that founded it like yeah. you hire the three directors who have 25 years of experience each in the industry and they know what they're doing you don't even ever really learn the names of the people below them often. And they're the people that pitch to you, et cetera. And what started to happen was these agencies are going, why do we have a team of 20 people who sit across a bunch of different specialisms and we try and find work that fits with those when we can find work and then build the perfect team? So agencies started this trend before pan the pan pandemic and before COVID became a thing. And what I've noticed is during the pandemic, companies that previously would never have worked in that format with these kind of like hybridized fluctuating teams are now starting to do that. So even big tech companies and people that are traditionally very in-house focused have started to have this kind of agency style model of let's build the right team for the project and then we'll disband them when we're done. And I think it's kind of a precursor to the future of work, which is massive hybridized flexible workforces where, you know, I honestly think that in 20 years time when you start a job you don't start a job for one company you start a job for five six seven eight different companies and you kind of go between them as is needed because the role of kind of critical and creative thinking um, has become so much more important because of the use of computer technology to automate a lot of the kind of simplistic tasks yeah i completely agree and i i think it's really good that we are moving into that more agency style now i think that's a really 
positive change. And I think it means a lot more people can get into the jobs they want to do without kind of coming up against this big corporate structure. And I think that's really, really important, especially for freelancers and entrepreneurs as well. Like it's going to make a huge difference to how we can, you know, apply for work and get jobs. And I know that there's a difference between sort of freelancers that work in-house and freelancers that work sort of very much independently. Um, But I think it's something that benefits both of us really, you know, personally I've done different bits of work where I've, you know, sort of subcontracted for agencies, but I also do a lot of my own sort of work. And so any business model that's flexible for that is, is great for, you know, for freelancers in general. It gives you access to better talent, right? Like the, the most interesting, most engaged people almost always want to go and do something a bit more entrepreneurial. And so, and freelancing is that. So getting access to that talent is really valuable to businesses. Yeah. So sort of going back to the entrepreneurs, what do you think entrepreneurs are struggling with at the moment? Like what's the thing they're they're really finding hard to cope with right now? So it's interesting because there's a big difference between what I describe as like the freelance movement and the the Mm -hmm. entrepreneur movement within startups, but the entrepreneurial attitude mindset, something that's talked about a lot is really not dependent on sector size of business, et cetera. So like, when I think of entrepreneur, my first port of call is to think of like the startup world. And, but then actually like the freelancers in our community consider themselves entrepreneurs and I consider them entrepreneurs. I think there are different problems is my point for the different areas of it. So for freelancers going into the, like starting entrepreneurialism, I think it's access to simplistic um, formats for building businesses, i.e. accounting infrastructure, um, financial infrastructure, access to clients access to to like successful portfolio development largely because if you're a business and you have departments doing each of these things you have specialists that come in and do each of them and as a freelancer or someone starting an entrepreneurial journey you kind of have to learn yourself and do it in 10 different places so i think that's very much the problem that underpin is trying to solve i.e we want to build an infrastructure in one place where you can go and do that on the other end of the spectrum um i think the biggest issue for people trying to start bigger businesses or, or trying to move into kind of the startup or faster growth sector um, is access to first-time capital, which is an issue that I'm particularly passionate about. So one of the things that I love about freelancing is that it gives a huge opportunity for a work-first format of hiring, i.e. trying to remove bias in the process of hiring. And I do a lot of work in inclusion, diversity, and access to opportunity, and freelancing is an amazing vehicle to try and do that. And that's a big part of what we do at Underpin. If you go a little bit up the ladder in terms of scale of business, it's a lot harder, like getting access if you're from, I mean, literally, if you're a woman, getting access if you're from any part of the LGBTQ plus community, getting access if you're from any sort of culturally diverse background becomes significantly harder because where the vast majority of wealth is held is in white men who made their money in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And what that means is they tend to naturally gravitate gravitate to people who look kind of similar to they look when what they look like when they were younger, but more importantly, it's the people who grew up in those um, environments who more easily have access to those conversations. So like, I'm acutely aware of when I'm growing up, I can walk into a room and have conversations with people fairly confidently. And that is a big, big problem. And I think it's a particularly obvious problem within the startup community. Access to first-time capital is a big issue. But I think even if you're looking right from right across the spectrum from early stage freelancing to you know, the monzos of the world, mm. There's a, there needs to be a better format for allowing open communication between the world of business and people entering the world of business. And I think that's a problem that I'm particularly passionate about and I think is very difficult to solve, but requires a huge amount of focus and attention at the moment. 
No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I really like what you said about the like diversity and inclusivity. And I know that that is something that more and more companies are striving towards. But I, I completely agree. Like in the freelance community, I've met so many more diverse, like diverse people that if I go into a standard office building and it's just four white people, you know, and right. I think that's something that like is great. About it's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And it allows for so much more interesting stuff to come out of it. Like oh, we were doing, we're doing a series of talks at the moment. And I literally just sent the marketing team a message being like, this is really fucking cool because you've just sent me the next six expert speakers. They're all women and they're from all different backgrounds. And I was like, that's amazing. Like that that happened naturally without anyone trying deliberately to go and find those people is wicked. And I was like, actually, we probably need to make sure that there's a bit more diversity in terms of the inclusion of other other gender identities, which is a great problem to have. But that's because the world that we're operating in, it, it seems much easier to encourage that. And I think that needs to get uh, dispersed across across more industries and more sectors and, and more kind of stages of business. But I think, yeah, that that if you if you find areas where diversity happens in a more organic and natural way, you get so much more interesting stuff coming out of it. And I think one of the issues that businesses face, and you you making this point about people saying that they're trying to strive for diversity is it's not good enough to passively say um we are diverse and we accept diversity you need to actively proactively encourage diversity and inclusion and say like even if it's just stating we accept people from xyz backgrounds because people from certain backgrounds never see themselves represented so you need to tell them that they're explicitly should be involved in what you're doing and i think that's a really big movement that i hope will will get bigger and have more kind of momentum in the next few years Oh no, I completely agree. Like that's something that I do in my job is I do inclusive marketing. So I just I, I work with businesses to try and make sure that they've got the most sort of diverse people in, yeah. in their website, their marketing. Because how many websites have you gone on for every agency and it's just white white men in, you know, checkered shirts and you know, trainers. You love a checkered um, shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, they're just, they're there playing pool and playing darts and drinking, you know, beer pong. And that's, that's great. But that also doesn't make me feel like I want to go and work there. Or if I'm someone of color, do I want to go and work there? Because I'm going to be the token person of color. And that's not how inclusivity should work. Mm. Um, I think also there's yeah. like, um, there's, it's, it's a really interesting issue in that people, it's not just about like representation and inclusion. It's also about creating opportunity for access and I think that most people as I say like most people's route to work is largely negotiated by their familiar cultural social background and like if you like if you go to private school you're going to be in a better job statistically than if you don't because you're surrounded by people who have access to the person you might be able to get the interview and I think that the, the, the opportunity to create diversity is really exciting but it's also something that I think is going to be very, very difficult to do effectively and successfully over the next few years. I think requires a lot of people thinking very hard and making a very active, proactive kind of effort towards. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think a lot more can be done and should be done. Um, so sort of going back to, to, you know, underpinned and freelancing, what is it about underpinned that you think is like the biggest benefit to freelancers? What can they do for individual freelancers? So this is a really interesting point because when we first started on the pin, like we were very focused on this idea of access. Like the, the biggest difficulty faced by freelancers is I'm good at what I do, but I don't know how to build a business. And what we found is that people spend three to five years usually fumbling around, making a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of trial and error before they get to being like this established 
um, freelancer. And what that means is loads of people, that's when people fall off. That's when people fail. That's when people yeah. stop. And particularly the people that stop, people that don't have access to people that can support them or access to kind of savings that they have. So you end up losing a lot of really interesting people just to financial circumstance. So the biggest benefit that I see in Underpinned is how do you take somebody who's on the, literally the first day of their journey and by the end of the second month of their journey, they already know what they need to do. And like, I don't want people to be fumbling around. So most of the people in our sector focus on successful freelancers and taking like a slice of their pie, i.e. doing their accounts, doing their finances, doing some software system for them. Uh, you're already making X amount of money a year. We're going to take Y percentage of that X amount and be, run your business services. We didn't take that attitude at all. Our attitude was, how do we go, how do we get people to be earning X amount? How do we make that journey easier? So whereas everyone else in the industry was very focused on established freelancers, we were like, they're kind of doing okay at the moment. We want to focus on the next generation of established freelancers. And as I said, with COVID, more people have started freelancing in the last year than in the last 10. So there's so many people who are going, how the fuck do I do this? <laughs> and so we're going, that's where we start. And so one of the biggest benefits of Underpinned is, you know, we do all these masterclasses and you have yeah. access to all these resources and all of the tools you need to build a freelance place in one place. But I think the thing that's particularly exciting um, is our accelerator program. So we have this thing, the ultimate guide to freelancing, and that's what gets people in. So like you, by the end of that, you feel confident, you know how to freelance and what you need to do. And from a really cynical commercial perspective, and I, I always feel it's important to talk to both your customers and investors about the other side of the story, right? Because like you yeah. need to understand why these things work. And from, from a really cynical commercial perspective, the way the accelerator program works is it means you make an investment in yourself, but it means we can then invest in you. Because if you're paying five pounds a month for our subscription, it's going to take you quite a long time to become a valuable like um, customer for us from yeah. a commercial perspective. But if you're willing to commit to invest in yourself to do the ultimate guide to freelancing, we then you we have the ability to invest back into you, which means we have a much better relationship and we have a much stronger tie and we have much more stuff that we can deliver to you. And you also get a much better starting kind of point to your career, which I think is what's exciting. That's that is so exciting. I completely like. I really like that idea and I, I can think of so many freelancers and you know times in my own freelance journey where that would have been so useful to have that kind of support because I think you're right there's a lot of focus on these established freelancers and I you know I think for some of the people I know they're trying to figure out you know they're they're fairly established but they're not sure where to go next but there is a lot of support for them but for new freelancers you know the little babies coming out of uni you know or ending a job you know trying to figure out what to do there really is yeah. support for them beyond just give it a go try it yeah so, and I mean if you think about it if you if there's there's 2.2 million successful freelancers or yeah. established freelancers in the UK there are 12 and a half million people with side hustles and there's a further 10 million people who fall into the aspirational freelance category so from our perspective why would we only be looking at 2.2 million people when we can help 22 and a half million people become like the 2.2 million people. And I think that like what you're saying is, you know, people fall off because they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing because no one's ever told them or given them the tools. Like we're now working with the small business commissioner and a load of universities who just signed up most of the colleges of UAL and the UAL Central Careers Hub and a bunch of other universities. And in September, we're hopefully gonna be signing up another 30 to 50 universities. It's basically, it's not acceptable to leave education not knowing how to build a freelance business. And so we're gonna start doing that. But hopefully one day we can even go into secondary education as well. Um, because I think like 
it, a lot of the things that we talk about are not particularly complicated. Once you actually start to do them, there are complexities to them. Yeah. But the foundational ideas and principles are not difficult or complicated. They're just things that nobody gets told and let alone all in one place. And I think that's a really exciting thing. No, absolutely. And like, like when you think about when you go, you know, go to school and you're given these lists of jobs you can do, there's never freelancing. Like, I don't think freelancing was even a thing when I was at school. It was just, you just didn't do that. There was kind of self-employed-ish people. Yeah. But I think it is a career now and it has to be acknowledged that more and more people are doing it. I think the attitude has changed significantly. So, I mean, when I, when I was freelancing and I was doing business strategy consultancy, mm -hmm. but it was still seen as like, why, why would you not want to do that for like KPMG? It's like, well, actually, I'm pretty sure I'm probably earning more money doing it the way that I'm doing it than I would be if I was like KPMG A and B. I'm working with totally different clients in a totally different way. And it wouldn't even, been, I don't even see that as a relevant option. And I think for the first time, just in the lead up to, to COVID, people were starting to look at freelancing as a format for work. But I think it was really difficult because in the UK, we've gotten quite good at segmenting the self-employed economy, mm -hmm. i.e., you know, gig workers, contractors, freelancers, and the varying scales of each. Whereas if you go to America, they don't differentiate at all between self-employed people. So like, if you look at how many freelancers there are in America, it says like 60 million. But that's because it includes Uber drivers and a yeah. guy who works in a yeah. bank for 10 years at a time, which is like, they're completely different formats for work. But because of COVID and so many people starting small businesses, people are starting to recognize it as a kind of a legitimate thing, which also means a lot less people are using the term freelance, I've found. Yeah. Like a lot of people call themselves small businesses or micro businesses or business owners or entrepreneurs or whatever else. Uh, because there's a stigmatism to freelancing, but I, I do think that's changing. I mean, you also will notice that all of the big tech companies, particularly in finance, have suddenly, you start seeing the word freelance pop up in marketing that they're doing, because they're all realizing, oh my God, this is the future of work. And now there are hundreds of million, I mean, there's a there's billion people around the world freelancing, like that's wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I'm rambling now. <laughs> oh, it's fine, I get it. Like tech is something that, um, I that was like, my first like, into freelancing was a bit of tech company um and they were very much like just starting out just kind of finding their feet and they didn't really know how to work with me as a freelancer but now you know a few years down the line they're much better at using freelancers they know what they're doing they're hiring more freelancers they're like really getting on board with it and understanding it and i think more and more businesses in especially tech or in you know um loads of other sectors are learning how to do that particularly you think about you know design or app development or web dev or you know, marketing and branding and all these places yeah. are, are realizing that you don't need to have this fully fleshed out office. You just need to have some creatives behind it and that's good enough. And that'll, you know, see you through very safely. Yeah. 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 And it, it is really exciting to see more, more and more companies working in that format. I think like the other side of that is we now need to have, and I do quite a lot of work with government and we now need to get a lot better on the policy and, and kind of infrastructure side, you know, things like maternal, maternity and paternity leave and various yeah. other forms of, of welfare and support for people in self-employed sector, especially after the COVID support, SCI, SS and various yeah. other things, which in my view were a complete failure. Um, and like, that's because there was just such little understanding. So like policy and infrastructure needs to catch up with the way that businesses are starting to work. Yeah, I, I definitely had friends who, you know, with the grants, they, they weren't eligible, even though they've been doing freelancing for a while, because of this, you know, certain nuances in the policy, they just weren't eligible and they got no support. Yeah. And yeah. that's such a frustrating thing for them. And it's hard for me to watch them go through it because there's no jobs going. There's no other business. They love their freelance business. And yeah, they just have to stop with no yeah. other 
or, and it's it's so frustrating. For sure. Yeah. Um. So when it came to setting up Underpinned, what do you think was the biggest like hurdle you had to overcome? What was the biggest challenge for you setting it up? So there's lots of there's so <laughs> there's so much stuff that was just all so difficult. I I can't tell you how stressful, how stressful this journey has been. The number of hours I've just spent crying in my hands, <laughs> just like absolutely destroyed. I I think I feel like the probably the most common characteristic is like having very serious phone call, hanging up phone, collapsing, crying for ten minutes, then getting up and being like, I gotta get back to this. I gotta yeah. get back to this. So I think like as with lots of things in this in this in this area the the most challenging thing is the emotional resistance like yeah. i feel like we've started to talk about this but people spend so much time the traditional thing in the startup world or in the entrepreneurial world or in the business world is like get up early work really hard go to bed and have no friends and see no people and don't watch netflix you know there's something going around recently it's like trade netflix for better sleep it's like no 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 no, no. still watch tv in the evening still read your books still do stuff mm-hmm. but i think there's there's a, and particularly for men, like there's very little conversation around crying or just feeling yeah. terrible. Yeah. And the biggest hurdle for me was honestly just maintaining emotional stability through like <laughs> what was by far, what has been by far the most, the hardest journey of my life from an emotional perspective and put massive strain on all relationships around me in every way you could possibly imagine. In a slightly more kind of business oriented format, the biggest issue that I think I faced, the biggest hurdle that I faced is when you take investment money, you're taking a significant responsibility. Not That's not the right way of phrasing it. You're taking a significant expectation. Yeah. So the moment you take money from someone, you are a, you're assigning yourself to quite a big expectation. And the way that you sell yourself to get that money is big and exciting. Yeah. So that momentum that you have to start and maintain, that I think is the most difficult thing um, when starting a kind of fast growth startup. Um, and that then adds pressure, which adds emotional torment. And I think that that, that for me, especially in the first two years, yeah. now three years in, that was the really, really tough thing. And I think we very much have crested a hill in it. Now the business is working and growing and exciting and people are really excited about it. But mm-hmm. there were points where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get past this next stage yeah. while maintaining the momentum. Like, I wish I just had an extra three months and no one was expecting anything next month. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really stressful. No, I completely understand that. And I think that that is something, like you said, we don't talk about is the emotional struggles of working for yourself is, you know, setting up any kind of business. It's a real emotional pull on you, your resources, your mental health, your financial health. It's crazy. Well, this is something, I mean, this podcast, Mm. talking about loneliness. Yeah. So all the surveys say the two biggest problems faced by freelancers are finding work followed by loneliness. And Finding work is also a symptom of loneliness because a lack of access to a network is a lack of access to potential clients. But the the idea of feeling isolated, even mm-hmm. if you're around people or not having support or peers, yeah. like that's something that's really, really, really challenging. It's actually something that we, you know, we have a very community focused spirit yeah. underpinned, but we're now really starting to focus on how we actually build system so that you can come in and meet somebody who could be your mentor you could be someone who could be your peer you could be somebody who could be work with you on a project and like how do we create an environment where people can 
easily and successfully just go and meet other people because that problem of loneliness like it's one thing starting a business freelance business or any business which is tough and stressful and and emotional enough but doing it when you don't feel like there's someone you can just sit down and talk to and go hey this is rubbish and they go yeah it is rubbish it's rubbish for me too oh really oh that's sick then okay well let's let's keep doing this then (laughs) I completely get that I've had that conversation with so my boyfriend works full-time and uh, so I've had that conversation with him about this and he comes at it from a completely different perspective and so it's not even necessarily physical loneliness. You can be with other people, but if they don't understand the journey sure. they're on and they don't relate to what it's like, you know, then it is lonely and it is isolating. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast is to be like, look, it's it's not the most sociable career path that you can sure. take. But, yeah, yeah. And it is a problem. And there are a lot of people that are talking about it now, but I think we're also finding lots of ways of problem solving it. So there's co-working groups and hot desking, and there's lots of these nice little things that are coming in to help us to feel more like a community and less lonely. I think that's really great to see. Like, I love that. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I I hope that that will continue. And and I hope that there needs to be a nice kind of balance between online and offline. And I think online is now here to stay, uh, but they're, they're, they're kind of, they'll never be, the, the, the value of standing in a room with people and having a conversation, I don't think will ever diminish. Um, so having like a nice hybrid version of how do we create communities that are engaging both online and offline in a meaningful way. And I think video 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 chats are like gonna be yeah. a massive driving factor of that because it's very different to have a, a video chat with somebody than it is to have an email correspondence or, 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 a, or an image exchange. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds super, super dubious. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Like, um, yeah, so that's something that, you know, go back to the pandemic, that's something that a lot of people experienced was the loneliness of working from home. And in a way that was kind of, I don't want to say gratifying, but it was a little bit to be like, you're working from home now. And that's, this is what I go through all the time. Welcome to my struggle. Welcome to my world. Like, I've yeah. been doing this for five years. You know, this is what it feels yeah. like. Do you understand now why I always want to go and sit in a coffee shop? That's why. Yeah. And I think that, I think both that has allowed people to realize they can work from home and that there were flaws with the original system of working full time in an office, that it's not suitable for everyone. Yeah. Whether you've got physical or mental health problems, whether you've got, you know, family things at home, or you just prefer to be in your own space. Yeah. I think it's great we're now allowing people to do that. But at the same time, yeah, freelancing can be lonely and it can be a struggle. And especially when like just imagine not- if we could this is the thing that I find bonkers, right? There are hundreds of millions of people trying to freelance. Imagine if we can solve just some of the basic problems that every freelancer feels. Like the fact that the most successful freelancers are still going, God, I hate doing my taxes. God, I hate (laughs) feeling lonely. And God, sometimes it's difficult to find new clients. And you're going like, these these are like what you might imagine to be fundamental problems, but still people want to freelance. If we can solve some of those problems, like actually make people feel better about them, imagine how fucking great freelancing would be. Like, and I think that's what we're, that's what I'm hoping yeah. for. <laughs> no, I think you're definitely like on the right path for it. And everything you're doing is like, little me is going, oh my God, I want that. I want that help. Like, please help me. <laughs> but like, I think, yeah, I think people don't understand exactly what freelancing is like before they do it. They've got a lot yeah. in their head and it's the reality of that, that it can be draining your mental health a little bit that you have to not just work on your own work you have to work on yourself while you're a freelancer it's a lot of self-reflection it's a lot of like self-growth 
you know, but you can, and, but you can do that with other people. I think that's the thing that people, that's what I think is really important is that you, it's impossible to be motivated yourself. It's impossible to motivate yourself all the time when you're going through difficult things and you're doing difficult, you're doing building a business. Like it's impossible to feel motivated all the time. I think people that pretend that they do are just lying. So you need to have people around you that can support you. And you also need to be able to create incremental goals and you need to be able to wake up some days and go, you know what? I don't feel like doing it today and it will be better for my mental health to just sit down and watch telly all day because I'll be more productive the rest of the week. And I think allowing ourselves that mental space is really important and I think not talked about enough. No, I agree. And I think that's where freelancing has its advantage over maybe full-time work because if you're in a full-time job, it's a lot harder to go, my brain's just not in it today. I'm having a mental health day. I'm having a day where I just can't do this because you've got whole yeah. teams of things waiting for you. Whereas freelance, you've got that mo- that control over what you can do when you can do it. And that's 100%. why people do go for it. Like that's one of the reasons I went into it because I thought like, I like having this control over my schedule and I don't necessarily feel the most productive at nine to five every single day of the week. That just doesn't work for me. No, Whereas, sure. you know, if I want to get up at six and that's my productive time, freelancing allows me to do that and then I've got the afternoon to work on whatever I want to do whether that's myself or my house or spend time with friends like and I think that's a massive draw of freelancing and a massive benefit to so many people yeah 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 for sure um let me just see what other questions oh yeah so what does your typical working day look like what does your day in a life look like so I'm gonna, I want this to be heavily, heavily caveated because I'm a dick. My normal routine is I get up around five o'clock, I go straight to my office, like I get a quick shower, I have to have a, like a five to 10 minute hot shower yeah. in the morning, which like environmentally is questionable, but I just can't wait. I literally can't wake up without doing it. I try to do cold showers sometimes, but they are absolutely horrible when you do the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good for you though. Anyway, so I go straight to my office and I just, uh, I plug so between then and well it used to be nine but now it's eight because we brought yeah. our, our days an hour earlier um I, that's when I get my stuff done like that's yeah. when no one is talking to me no one is messaging me yeah. that's that's Albert time yeah. stay away um, <laughs> um yeah my friends family girlfriend yeah. sleep like that's me time and then nine eight, well, it used to be nine eight o'clock comes team meeting and then it's usually like team meetings for the next couple hours and I'll get a little bit more stuff done and then 12.30 I get off my desk for about two and a half hours so 12.30 I go to the gym for about two hours I usually do like an hour workout half an hour cardio 15 minutes abs then I go and have a sauna shower go and like get something to eat relax then come back to my desk usually around three sometimes a little bit earlier uh 2 2.30 to three um and during that time, I reply to emails on my phone, but I don't really do any proactive work. So I do text and emails, so I'm still there. Then I come back and then I work until I don't want to work anymore. And I'm pretty strict with myself that I stop when I don't want to stop. So like yeah. if it gets to 4 p.m. and I'm like, I'm not doing anything that's valuable anymore, I'll stop. I might work till 8, 9, 10 some days, but yeah. generally speaking, I will stop when I feel like I'm not being productive. I don't really generally get much useful work done in the evenings. I tend to be quite good at doing things like, podcasts and interviews and stuff in the evenings but I generally don't do other stuff and mm-hmm. then I do a lot of now we're starting to open up I will go and do lots of talks and events and stuff which I really really enjoy as you can tell I talk way too much <laughs> so <laughs> you just need to put me in front of people and let me talk about something um <laughs> to tell me what to talk about and I'll do it no and then but the, the here the heavy caveat yeah I don't do that all the time 
And if I did do that all the time, I'd be dead. <laughs> um, I like to go out in the weekends. I like to party. I like to see my friends. I love sleep. <laughs> um, I was talking to my mom about this recently, and she was saying when you were a kid, like you went to bed two hours before your friends every single day. <laughs> Because apparently she would just take me to the park and be like, play until you are exhausted. And so I would come home and just like pass out like 7 p.m. I remember like being like 11 years old and going to bed like 7 p.m. Being like, this is, is this not normal? I remember even when I, even when I was like 17, 18, I'd regularly go to bed before 6 p.m. on a weekday and just be like, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so I, and I, and I think that my, when I, when I first started underpinned, I would push myself way too hard in doing all this kind of like crazy routine. And then I realized like, it doesn't necessarily make me more productive. It doesn't necessarily make me better. Um, and so although I love that routine, cause I like to take a big break in the middle of the day and I like to stop when I feel unproductive in the afternoons and evenings, I will get up at 7.30 some days, eight some days. Like I will make sure that I look after my mental and physical health before I do some like crazy stuff. And the truth is like, it, it ends up balancing out. And uh, the only thing that makes me really anxious is yeah. if I don't get time before the day starts, I do slightly feel like I'm catching up all day. Because even if it's, even, honestly, even if it's just 15 minutes, just like quickly tidy up my inbox and like go yeah. through and make sure there's nothing I've missed that I really need to be doing. Because otherwise, even if there isn't, I'll be thinking that there is all day. Because I usually, from nine until about five, I don't usually get any break from meetings, emails, and texts. So like, yeah, so it just ends up like if you don't, if you, once you jump on the treadmill, you've just got to keep running and you need some time before to like check the treadmill settings. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I like that you have this routine that isn't very strict, it's nice and flexible and it works to your mental health and to you. And that's really, really nice to see. And yeah, that just goes back to like the idea that you don't have to have this nine to five every day. You can be totally flexible and you can do what works for your, you know, rhythms, your body, your yeah. mental health. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hope that like, cause we, we want to try and put that more into the team as well. Like I, I'm yeah. fairly relaxed and people say like, I'm going to work slightly different hours today. Yeah. I think like the only difficulty is like working out with meetings and with kind of like, particularly with tech schedules. So like mm -hmm. sprint timelines, like yeah. kind of important people are usually working at similar times, but I'd really be interested to see how we can help increase that flexibility for, for a wider demographic of people. It's like, it's kind of easy when you're the boss to be like, by the way, guys, I'm not going to be in this afternoon because I'm tired. You can't really do that to your boss. You can't really send your text, boss your text, be like, I'm tired. I'm not doing any work today. Um, if only, that would be the dream. Yeah, I'm actually hungover and I'm done. Tuesday's done, I'm out. Um, um, you probably get away with doing that like once or twice. I've definitely had like in the past, my team can't once or twice be like, look, I'm sorry, but I'm just hungover and I just can't do something. And I'm like, look, okay, I get it. But you know, this is a one-off. Um, this isn't every Tuesday. I've done that. I've done the thing where you come in and you sit in a meeting room and we just ordered food. And there's like seven of us that were hungover in a conference room sitting there just head on desk. And it was great. Like it was yeah. amazing. <laughs> now it's a little bit harder to do that especially I do put more pressure on myself because I'm like there's no one else that can take over if anything happens to me if I am wiped out because I've not had a good night's sleep or anything I don't have that kind of backup and I know that I've got to be there for my clients I've got to be there for yeah. this yeah. and, that, and I've got to get that scheduled and done and yeah. so I, I know that I have to take care of myself in that sense where I'm like no drinking on weekends, no or at weekdays, get a good night's sleep because 
the anxiety of not being able to do something for my client is so annoying. yeah i mean yeah i feel that it's so much worse and also I, I actually the place i get it worse is for my team like, really? the, the, I don't want to let my team down. I, I think so, I've read something recently, you know, saying like you work for your employees. And I think like yeah. that's like the best way of doing this. It is my fundamental responsibility to be there for them, support them, look after them. And like both in terms of emotional, mental, work-wise, like they are my family and they're like 100% engaged with what we're doing at Underpin. And I'm so proud to be part of this team. I have a, a, a responsibility to be my best version of myself for them. Yeah. Um, and that's like a cool thing as well. <laughs> no, I love that. And that's awesome. And it's great to have to hear that there are like bosses out there who do treat their employees well. It's very Oh, nice. I actually treat them terribly, don't worry. <laughs> I'm rude, a slightly abusive and low-key aggressive yeah. all the time. <laughs> okay, well, final question. Uh, take the time to plug underpinned and share anything you want to share in this last like five minutes. Okay, I'm t- to be completely honest, the thing that I that we're really plugging at the moment that's growing loads is like come and do our course. If you're in, if you're starting out your freelance journey, if you're a few years into your freelance journey, I mean, we've had people who are straight out of uni, straight through to 22 years of freelancing, do this course. But get involved. It's 200 pounds, but I'm going to give you a special code, so it's 150 for your listeners. Um, so come, come, give it a go. Like there's a seven day money back guarantee if you don't, if it's not for you, but. It, it will be if you're trying to start a freelance business this is like five years of learning to put into a piece of software where you get access to for, for a masterclass every single week a whole software system workshops with me every week workshops with my team like there's so much support you can't come out of this not feeling good about freelancing you may come out of it being like god it's gonna be hard but i know what i need to do at least um so my advice yeah come check out underpinned um get involved in the course and, and join loads of other people building freelance businesses Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been, it's been really fun, actually. I'm really Yeah, uh, yeah. this is exactly what I needed. I was having such a slow morning as well. Yes. This is exactly what I needed to get me going for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm hot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's all right. All right. Have a good rest of the week. Yeah, and you. All right. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much to Alba for coming on and joining me on The Lonely Freelancer this week. It was amazing to chat to one of the freelancers about some of the work that he does and some of our shared, you know, struggles and triumphs of the world of freelancing. If you want to come on and be a guest star on The Lonely Freelancer, I am always looking for people to come on and chat about mental health, freelancing, inclusivity, loneliness or marketing or anything else that takes you fancy. So if you want to come and be on the show, drop me an email at hello at nickymckaig.com. Or you can head to my website, www.nickymckaig.com. I also urge you to go and check out Underpinned. It's an amazing site with loads of good resources. Do the course. Um, The code will be in the description of the podcast episode. And I'll have it in a blog post on my website as well. And I'll be sharing it all over my socials. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. And then you can learn how to be an even better freelancer, which I think we all need once in a while. Again, thank you to Albert. Thank you for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this and have a fantastic week. Thanks. Bye.